Wow. <laughs> Where did everybody come from? To see y'all on this beautiful Resurrection Sunday. <clears throat> Proud of the kids. The kids that were quoting those scriptures a while ago, they are part of our uh, Bible drill team. They meet every Wednesday night and they learn about all the books of the Bible and memorize scripture and they glad they got to to put those skills to use up here during the service and I'd be bragging on them even though, even if one of them wasn't my own. It's a little one right over here on the end that looks like her grandmama. That's that was mine. She belongs to me. Good to see everybody today. I'm glad you're here. If you have your Bibles with you, why don't you open up to the book of 2 Kings chapter 4. Today we are going to look at what the resurrection of Jesus means for us by way of an Old Testament story. And uh, A text out of 2 Kings may seem like an unusual place in the Bible for an Easter message, but everything in the Bible points to the gospel. And now that the climax of history has happened, we can look back on these stories that were foreshadows of it and discover some things about what it means for us now. And so that's what we're going to do here with this one. Second Kings chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 8. So I'm going to ask you to stand one more time in honor of God's word. <clears throat> Now there came a day when Elisha passed over to Shunem where there was a prominent woman and she persuaded him to eat food. And so it was as often as he passed by, he turned in there to eat food. She said to her husband, behold, now I perceive that this is a holy man of God passing by us continually. Please let us make a little walled upper chamber and let us set a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand. And it shall be when he comes to us, then he can turn in there. One day he came there and turned into the upper chamber and rested. Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. He said to him, say now to her, behold, you have been careful for us with all of this care. What can I do for you? Would you be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the army? And she answered, I live among my own people. So he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, Truly, she has no son, and her husband is old. He said, Call her. When he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, At this season next year, you will embrace a son. She said, No, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. Let's pray. Lord, as we just sang through song, you are worthy. worthy of it all. Lord, there's a lot of people gathered in this place right now because you are worthy. It's not because the church is great. It's because you're great. And Lord, I pray that this morning through your word, you would show us just how great you really are and what you have made available to us your resurrected life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So there's a house in a town of Shunem. 
that Elisha the prophet passes by every time that he is what is essentially his ministry rounds that he goes on in this region. The word Shunem in Hebrew means their sleep, which is significant as we will find out in just a minute. This lady knows that Elisha is a man of God and so she suggests to her husband that they build a little room for him so that he can take a nap, just rest there before he continues on his travels. Elisha appreciates the kindness of this woman and he wants to return the favor to her so he asks her, what do you want me to do for you? And her answer seemed pretty strange because she said to him, I live among my own people. What in the world did she mean by that? Well, back then, people had a very strong sense of community. They took a lot of pride in their identity as a tribe, a family, a village, and they did everything that they could to make sure that everybody in that group of people had all their needs taken care of. If anybody had a need, everyone was there to make sure that they didn't go without We know that this is obviously a very kind woman. If she showed this much kindness to Elisha, somebody who was not a part of her people, just imagine the kindness that she must have had for her own, which that kindness would no doubt have been returned to her by her own people. And so when she said, I live among my own people, she was saying, I don't need anything. All of my needs are taken care of. That in itself is a lesson that we could learn on how to live with one another as Christians, right? So here we have a woman who thinks she has no need of anything in the town of sleep. I think that's a good description of a lot of people today, particularly in regards to their relationship with God, their spiritual life. A few weeks ago, I talked about how here in the United States, things just come pretty easy to us. I mean, if we're hungry, we've got nearly 100 restaurants, two major grocery stores, and a super center. If we're hot or we're too cold, we just adjust the thermostat on the wall. If we're sick, we take a pill. If we're bored, there's a million games that we can find on our phone to play. There's not much in this life here that we really need, or so we think. And if we do need anything, it's pretty easy to find it. In the book of Revelation, Jesus instructs John to write letters to seven different churches. Now, many scholars believe that each of those seven churches represents seven different periods of time throughout the history of the global church. And if that's true, then the letter to the church of Laodicea sure sounds a whole lot like the church today especially here in the U.S. Here's part of what it says, which will be up on the screen. In Revelation 3, starting in verse 15, this is Jesus talking, and he says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. You do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I am rich and in need of nothing. If that doesn't describe the attitude a lot of people have today when it comes to their spiritual life, I just don't know what does. 
If I were to ask each of you as you came in here this morning, what do you need this morning? Most of you would probably give a similar answer to this woman. I'm good. I don't need anything. I'm just here because it's Easter. At the end of verse 17 to that church, he said, you just don't really realize how in need you really are. In other words, you're oblivious to the most important needs that you have. You're asleep to the reality of the situation. Many of us today are essentially sleepwalking when it comes to our most important needs. Yes, things may look good on the outside. Yes, you may have all of your physical and material needs taken care of, but God is way more concerned with what's on the inside than he is with what's on the outside. And there are things in our heart that many of us just aren't willing to acknowledge. We cover those things up by staying as busy as we can so we don't have to think about them. And so like this Shunammite woman, we are people who think we have no need of anything walking around in sleep. But Elisha says something to her that exposes something deep in her heart. She wasn't really willing to acknowledge at that moment. Something that was buried and forgotten about a long time ago when he told her this time next year, You're going to have a son. And I can just imagine the shock on this woman's face when he said that. Not so much shocked at this crazy prediction that he had just made, but more so shocked that he had touched something way way deep down inside of her that hadn't been touched in a very long time. He awoke something that had been asleep for quite a while. See, earlier in her life, she no doubt looked forward to having children of her own. Back then, children were a sign of prosperity and blessing and favor in the family. Being childless carried with it a whole lot of shame. It was a very shameful thing not to have any children of your own. And just reading what little we do know about her, she seems to be the kind of woman that was specifically made to be a mother. I mean, she has, obviously, that unique nurturing gift that good mothers have. We see it in the way that she went to such lengths to take care of Elisha. Even before she built him a room, she was always making sure that there was a hot meal there ready for him when he passed through there. The text says that she was a prominent woman in the community, and so more than likely she was looked at as kind of the the town mother. She was everyone's mother. Because of her kindness and just the way that she was. God had created her with these mothering instincts and gifts. And she used those gifts to her fullest ability, but never able to on any children of her own. At one point, she had a dream. But over time, that dream faded to a memory. Which produced so much pain and a longing in her heart that she just never could satisfy no matter how much she took care of everyone else and so she tried to push it down by keeping herself busy being a mother to everyone she had resigned herself to the fact that her dream just wasn't meant to be it was hopeless a lost cause or so she thought 
Now she unexpectedly finds herself facing that dream once again. She might have forgotten about it, but God didn't. He never forgets. He's the one who put that dream inside of her heart in the first place. And he led Elisha to reach down deep and touch a pain that had been deep in her heart and covered up for quite a while. And her response to that was, no, don't you lie to me. Don't go there. Is what she was essentially saying. Don't tease me with that. Don't you dig up this pain that had long been buried and I'd gotten over. Don't, don't get these hopes all over again just to have them completely crushed once more. Some of you here today can probably relate to this woman. There may be a pain in your heart caused by something that happened a long time ago. The loss of someone who is very close to you. The breakup of a marriage. It may have been your innocence that was lost at the hands of someone who had no right to do the things that they did. Maybe it's the pain of never having a father around to raise you or a mother who wasn't too afflicted with her own demons to properly care for you. Whatever the pain or the longing that you had, you think that you've gotten over it, you've buried it, you've forgotten about it. Something inside you broke. And you've resigned yourself to believe that there's no hope for it to be fixed, restored, and healed. You may have pushed it down and forgotten about it, but I'm telling you right now, God hasn't forgotten. He hasn't. For God. What if I told you this morning that there was hope? What if I told you that everything that you thought was lost, that Jesus can restore? What if I told you that that wound in your heart can be fully healed? Because just because you've managed to push it down does not mean that it's gone. Those things don't go away simply with time. They sit and they fester and they have an effect on everything that we do in life. But I'm telling you this morning that there is hope. Nothing is a lost cause with Jesus. And some of you may have the same reaction to that that this woman had to Elijah. No, don't you dare go there. Don't you lie to me. The story continues. Elisha's prediction came true. And the woman and her old husband, they had a son of their own. Her pain was healed. Her shame was finally gone. And it says that One day when the boy was grown, he went out in the field to help his father with the harvest. And he started complaining of a real bad headache. And so his father sent him back to the house to his mother. And she pulled him up into her lap and sat there all day long just holding him, trying to console him and ease the pain. But it was no use. The boy died right there in his mother's arms. How cruel she must have thought God was. 
He awakens this longing that she thought was gone and finally gives her her heart's desire only to jerk that right away from her once again. The pain of having a child and losing it was probably greater than the pain of never having one in the first place. She carries her son's lifeless body into the room that they had made for Elisha. And she lays him down on the bed. She saddles up a donkey and runs just as fast and as hard as she can to find the man of God. And when she finally does, she runs up to him and she says, I didn't ask for a son. I told you not to lie to me and now he's dead. He's gone. Elisha returns with her back to the house. We'll pick up the story in verse 32, if I can get through it. (laughs) When Elisha came into the house, behold, the lad was dead and laid on his bed. So he entered and shut the door behind them both and prayed to the Lord. And he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth and his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself on him and the flesh of the child became warm. Then he returned and walked in the house once back and forth and went up and stretched himself on him. And the lad sneezed seven times and the lad opened his eyes. He called Gehazi and said, call this Shunammite. So he called her. And when she came into him, he said, take up your son. Then she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground. And she took up her son and went out. The kids earlier in the service quoted some of the scriptures about it, how Adam and Eve believed the lie that many people are still believing today, that God cannot be trusted and that something other than him will satisfy. And so they did the one thing that he told them not to do. Sin entered the picture and everything changed. God created every one of us to be able to find our complete and total satisfaction and fulfillment only in Him. But sin made that impossible. And so from then on, mankind has had this longing deep down in our hearts. And for a long time, they tried every way possible to relieve it. They tried doing it by following the law, but they found out pretty quick that that was impossible. They tried doing it by making these images, these idols of their own making and worshiping them, but that didn't work out at all. And they tried following their own desires, doing everything that they thought was best in their own mind, living according to their own ways, but that just left them more and more dissatisfied and frustrated. And then the prophets came. And they would tell of a great restoration that was coming, a great healing that God would do. And it would be something so big, so otherworldly, that words could hardly describe the magnitude of how great it would be. And what those prophets said was that God was going to send a son who would come and restore everything that sin destroyed. Everything that sin destroyed had taken away and prevented. 
Generation after generation of people had gotten their hopes up, believing that certain things were going to be the answer to their greatest problem, only to be let down and have those hopes crushed every time. But now, listening to these prophets, do they dare hope again? Do they dare risk having that hope jerked out from under them once again? Most of the people, they rejected those prophets, and they mocked them, and they said, don't lie to me. But like Elisha, they weren't lying. And the promised son did come. Many people believed he was the promised Messiah. And they followed him. They adored him. They were in awe at him. And they just knew that this is what their hearts had always been longing for. Because every time he was around, every time he would speak, it would ignite something deep down that had never been ignited before. Just three short years after making his purpose known, he was beaten, stripped, hung on a wooden cross to suffer the most shameful form of human obscenities. And he died. He was gone. Like the woman's son, they took Jesus' lifeless body and laid him in a tomb, a room that was originally made for someone else. His followers were stunned. How could this happen? This isn't the way it was supposed to go down. Why would he come and do the things that he did and say the things that he said Get our hopes up like this just to have it all in like this. And the situation that they faced at that moment was hopeless. It was a lost cause. But three days later, the Spirit of God entered that cold, dark tomb and stretched himself over the body of Jesus. His eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands, his mouth on his mouth, and blew into him the breath of life. And the promised son came to life and walked out of that tomb, having defeated everything that sin had taken away and prevented. Everything that sin produced, Jesus took on that cross, and it was all buried with him in that tomb. And when he walked out fully alive once again, everything changed. For he walked out carrying with him the power to make all things new and bring dead things back to life. Dead dreams, dead aspirations, dead marriages, and dead hearts can now come fully alive in the power of his resurrection that he now has with him. He tore down the barrier that prevented us from finding our greatest satisfaction and fulfillment in him. We no longer have to chase after the the things of this world, folks, in the hopes that those things might be the answer. They're not. I'm telling you right now, he is the answer. His life has provided us everything that we need. 
And what his resurrection means for us now is that our dreams that we thought had long been asleep can now be realized. Our wounds can now be fully and completely healed. Our longing can now find its total satisfaction and fulfillment. Some of you came here today <laughs> thinking this was just going to be another Easter service. You didn't come looking for anything from God. Like I said earlier, you'd be one of the ones if I was asking you if you needed anything, you'd say, no, I'm good. I'm just here because it's Easter. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Some of you, if you were to be honest with me, you'd have to say, you know what? There are things that aren't quite right about my heart. There are wounds that have never been fully healed. And those wounds have been a very fertile ground for things like bitterness and anger and resentment to take root. Some of you have been so painfully rejected time after time in your life that you can't help but view the world around you through that lens of rejection. You won't allow anybody to ever be able to get close to you. You protect yourself so that no one will ever reject you again. I'm telling you right now, you don't have to live that way anymore. Jesus can set you free from that spirit of rejection. Some of you deal with the pain of a great loss, someone close to you, and whatever you found in that person that was now gone, Jesus wants you to be able to find in him. And you can. Just listen to these prophetic words of the Old Testament talking about what Jesus' death and resurrection would mean. What it would mean. They're not going to be up on the screen. I'm just going to read them off. Hosea 6.2 says, On the third day he will restore us, that we may live in his presence. Jeremiah 3.22, Return, O faithless sons, and I will heal your faithlessness. Isaiah 54.4, Fear not, for you will not be put to shame. And do not feel humiliated, for you will not be disgraced, but you will forget the shame of your youth. And the reproach of your widowhood will be remembered no more. Joel 2.25, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. I will make up to you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten. I will make up to you for all those years That sin, that swarming locust has eaten and destroyed and taken away from you that you thought were gone. He's going to make up to you. Jeremiah 30, 17. I will restore you to health and heal your wounds. Some of you may have forgotten about that pain that you managed to bury deep down. But I'm telling you right now, God has not forgotten He desires to heal you and for your heart to find its greatest satisfaction in him. He wants to renew your hope. He wants to restore what sin has taken away. The only thing that God ever says that he forgets, 
throughout the entire Bible is our sin. Jeremiah 31, 34, he says, your sin I will remember no more. That is what is available to those who repent and turn to Jesus. What he doesn't ever forget are the dreams that he puts in our heart. Some of us from even a very early age. He doesn't forget the hope that we give up on. He doesn't forget the pain and the injustice that's been caused by others. And in his perfect timing, he restores, he returns, and he heals. Romans 8, 11 says, But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Jesus from the dead will give life, life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who now dwells in you. Folks, I'm telling you right now, the resurrection of Jesus isn't just a historical event that we celebrate once a year. It is something that we can access every day, taking advantage of and possessing everything that Jesus' blood paid for. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. The resurrection of Jesus means the answer has come. The problem has been solved. Lord, I pray for those in here right now that have been searching for answers, searching for that satisfaction, searching for that healing to the pains that have been inflicted on them and their tender hearts for a long time. Lord, I pray that this morning, coming here not expecting anything, that they find what they have been looking for for so long, and they find that in you. Lord, I pray for those with wounded hearts in here. They would just feel the healing balm of your oil just soothing those wounds. Lord, that that spirit of rejection would be broken and cast off. That those chains that bind us from being able to live the life that you created us for, they would just fall off this morning. Lord, I pray for those that don't even know you, that have been trying to live life according to their own ways, their own desires. Lord, I pray that this morning will be when everything completely changes for them and they turn to you. And Jesus, I thank you that your resurrection means that you are alive right now and you are here. You are here in this place with us, with your spirit. And I know that you are intended to do some incredible things in the lives of people right now. God, I thank you that you didn't intend for this to just be another ritual. but you wanted it to be an encounter with truth and with power an encounter with the risen Lord so Lord let it be done now in Jesus name I pray amen